Hi, this is Two Teachers Talking. This is episode 150. And today, Charles and I are going to be talking about um, teaching reading and um, teaching reading in 2022. Because uh, as with <laughs> as with any aspect of our teaching <laughs> these days, everything is changed and continues to change uh, very, very quickly. Um, and even um, without the extra challenges of, of our times, um, teaching reading is really hard. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, it's very level dependent. Um, are you teaching reading at a basic sentence level? Are you teaching at a meta close reading example? For example, teaching literature um, or, or something in between? Um, you've also got to think about you know, why? What's the purpose, right? Why, you know, these kids are in your classroom, you're teaching them English. Why? Is it academic? Is it because, you know, for, for further English study, depending on, you know, where you're teaching and, and what their majors are? Uh, do they have a professional need? So, for example, are they, you know, pre-med uh, where, you know, you know of course, their teachers are telling them that German is most important, but um, it's probably going to be very important in the future to be able to learn to read uh, medical journals in English. Um, is it testing? Is it just you know, to get a better TOEIC score, TOEFL score, uh, and so forth? Or is it, you know, really practical for life? Um, so there's all these possible reasons that you might be doing what you're doing that can impact what you're planning on doing. Um, and, uh, as you know, not only because of, of COVID and, you know, remote teaching and so forth, um, but just the times, uh, so many different tools now are available to us and can change the way that we structure our classes and change our teaching and so forth. And, um, Charles has a lot of really interesting ideas about about all of that. Um, so, yeah, reading, Charles, what do you think? I feel like I really got set up for failure right there. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you always feel that way. You, you, you always shine. You come through. Oh, gosh. Now I feel like, you know, what is it called in, Jap- in Japan? Japanese apple polishing or something? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Anything I'm doing is new or different or if it's interesting. I think, Tony, what we're talking about is how recently I've approached the teaching of reading given the tools that are available to students, the experiences under COVID, and the thing we've talked about before, which is the impact of machine translation – especially for students who will probably not have a real need to read in English. And you were talking about the different kinds of students or the different kinds of subjects that people would teach reading to. And the one thing you skipped were the students who are just taking the class because it's required. And we need to always address that elephant in the room. And I think we do mention it, but that is also part of what we're talking about. But let's just start off with, you know, Tony, when you were teaching reading, what would be 
the starting point for you. And let's just try to average it out. Take the average level student first year, because we're mainly teaching general ed classes. Where would you start from? What point would you start from? Well, see, that's the hard part. I, I don't think I don't think I can do that. It's like again, when I always talk about a needs assessment, and every school that I would was teaching at was different. Every class was different, and their needs were very different. So I each time, and this is what made it so damn hard um that every class that i taught it, it was like basically ground up how how are you going to do this um because the, the needs were so varied and there was no common denominator because again at some some classes i was teaching reading at a sentence level and in other classes i'm teaching at a metal level and we're talking about you know, you know literature level type analysis of reading but to answer your question um i think there i think there nevertheless there are there are some common uh elements that are important um you know because you got your your basic basic skills and you have to assess whether your class ne- needs these skills addressed or not things like skimming and scanning to find information, um, paragraph structure, which links really closely with writing, because those are really you know they they, they kind of they go hand in hand. But if you're teaching reading, you have to understand you have to make sure that your students understand English Western concept of paragraph. You know, you know when you some if you, if you do it right when you teach them the, the idea of a topic sentence, <laughs> they they they're their eyes light up and it's like it's like the key <laughs> to understanding and they just really really uh appreciate that um at the next level you go from paragraphs like to like a structure of an essay or an article uh, where you got an introductory paragraph a summary paragraph and some main points in between and it's like and you know you can you can watch it sometimes it seems like oh yeah they're 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 solving this this puzzle um the idea of context. You know, what are we, what what are you reading? Is this uh, a, a graphic novel? Is this a manga? Is it a New York Times article? Is it a part of a novel or a short story? Um, you know, is it a newspaper article? Uh, the idea of context is going to change the way that the piece is written, and it's going to change the way that you try to get meaning from it. Um, Tone, which is really, really difficult, and uh, I, something that I don't really didn't do with, except with the most advanced classes. You know, you talk about like irony or sarcasm, or um, you know, hu- whether it's humorous or whether it's whatever it might be. It's like trying to help the students with the cues that give them a clue as to what the tone of the article is, because. If they make a basic misunderstanding there, they can go off in completely the, the wrong uh, direction. On the other hand, something that's basic for every student, regardless of how advanced they are or how advanced they think they are, um, reading speed and timed readings. Uh, so 
valuable, not only practically, um, but you know, for, for both ways, both for what they get out of it, but just also actual improvement in reading ability, uh, really, really important. Something that bleeds a little bit into like writing skills, summarizing, right? So read something, so, okay, reduce this to two or three sentences. What did you just read? Tell me what this is about. What's the main point? Maybe what are the two or three big supporting statements? What did you just read? Tell me what you just read. Incredibly difficult. <laughs> Incredibly difficult. And something you know you just have to keep hammering on, hammering on, working it. Um, and something that, um, Charles, when you had your, uh, in the podcast here um, a while ago, uh, two interviews with Paul Nation, how re- reading, extensive reading, vocabulary specifically, uh, how important those are to English fluency. That was um, our episode 73 and 77 were your ir- interviews with Paul Nation. But we talked about how important that was. And, you know, that symbiotic relationship with vocabulary and reading, um, how important those things are. And when my students would ask me, it's like, yeah, they did, you know, and they, they did. Um, it's like, it's like, you know, you know, sensei, you know, how can I improve my English? It's like, um, I would say, get a, get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. <laughs> and it's like, no, that doesn't work. Well, then just read everything you can. Doesn't matter. Find, you know, whether it's a graded reader, strongly recommended, um, because the students can check their own level and, and pick something that's able to, something they could actually read and not translate. Um, or more advanced students, you know, whether it is like, you know, online articles, so forth and so on. Um, but read, 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 read helps fluency and vocabulary. And as, as you and Paul said, you know, pointed out, it's like vocabulary is really, really important. And the more you read, um, just reading the sentences, constant reinforcement, grammar. Well, because we really don't address a lot of grammar in the classroom generally. Um, but it's a, a basic building block. So all those things are, are, are part of it. And ideally, whatever level that I was teaching, at some point, each of those skills might enter into what I might construct for that class or those students. But again, it, it's so dependent on student level and uh, their their purpose. You know, are they English majors? You know, are they going to be going to graduate at, at some of the schools? Are they going to graduate school? English literature or English teachers, um, or as, as Charles, as you said, are they just trying to pass? They just need the credit. And that makes a difference in, in how you structure the, the, you know, the class. But, um, each of those elements kind of enters into it at some point, somewhere along the line, I guess. Um, that doesn't answer your question, <laughs> but yeah, but each class is different. Well, the question becomes how should, or how can teachers cope with those differences? Variability and variation 
you know, between classes and within classes. It's mm-hmm. like the uh, <laughs> the bane of our existence to a good degree. But one of the things you said, Tony, is the that I find interesting, or and I also find it key, is that reading and writing are kind of intertwined. I think you've mentioned that they're really, you know, closely related, and. The idea of having students write about what they read, I think, is one important idea. Uh, you know, to summarize, what did you learn? What did you read? What did you understand? But the notion of what do they need to know about the structure of paragraphs? For example, in a writing class, we almost always teach topic sentence, supporting sentences, detail example sentences. But I think that can be overlooked in a reading class, although uh, a textbook both you and I liked for beginning students or even intermediate students, what, what, it was reading power, I think. Absolutely. And then there's like a that, series of three. Like there's like a basic right. and then reading power, then like more reading power or something. They have right. like a beginning and middle and yes. end. And it has um, a lot of great exercises. It um Students work on identifying topic sentences, which topic sentences fit, which are too general, too narrow, too right. It's really good. It has some um, timed readings included, and I think both of us tended to use, also tended to use it, or did use it as a as a writing textbook in a way, because it really teaches students the structures of paragraphs. So, one thing we have to remember is that. For especially in Japan, is students are coming to the reading process with a completely different idea of how a essay or a writing is actually structured. There are different rules governing the rhetoric, and we need to start by teaching that. The other thing that you mentioned, which was the vocabulary, the effect of vocabulary, or the impact or importance of vocabulary on reading, I think it's central. I don't think anything is more important than do the students know the words that they're being exposed to on the page, other than are they able to identify the words through the processes of reading. Yeah, exactly. And, it was really important. It's really important for learning vocabulary. And it's also very important like when you're choosing the level of reading for the students so that they don't have – so that they, they need to understand at least 90% of the words on the page. If, oh, it's much higher actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's much higher. But if it, it, it's it, – it, at anything higher than that, if if it's it's higher than that, they're not reading; they're just translating. Really important. Wait, wait. What do you mean by that? Um, higher they, than the ninety percent. They, they need to. No, no, no. I'm well, sorry. less or more, uh, whatever it is. If if they <laughs> if they understand less than ninety, if they understand less than ninety percent, then they're not reading; they're translating. Okay. Actually, so, I think it's like 200 words a minute is generally what's understood as like the minimum reading speed. And it's a shock. And it's, it's interesting because people talk about the Japanese and say, oh, you know, they can, they can read and write, but they just can't, you know, communicate. It's like, no, no. None of these students in my class, reading class, you know, good university, none of these students can, can read 200 words a minute. Yeah. Well, from what I know about the vocabulary, when we talk about vocabulary coverage, which is how many, what percentage of words in a text do students know based on their vocabulary knowledge? For a while, at least, the numbers that I was familiar with was at about 95% 
vocabulary coverage is necessary for students to be able to understand or comprehend a text. And by vocabulary coverage, for if people don't know, it just really means you take the vocabulary that's in a text and you measure students' vocabulary. How many words do they know? Let's say the first 1,000 words, the second most frequent 1,000 words, K1, K2, as they're known, K3, K4, plus something called the academic word list. We know, or it was thought that it was 95% was needed for understanding, and the numbers I've used was actually, I thought it was 92, but it's 95, and then at about 97%, 98 it gets good for vocabulary learning because if at 98%, that means students will understand 98 out of 100 words. So every 50 words, let's say, they're not going to know one word. That's not too hard to look up or it's not too bad to click on if you're reading digitally to see the meaning. But recently I was reading um, an article, unusual for me, that moved the numbers up to like 97% for comprehension to have actually, you know, reasonable comprehension. And I believe it's basically measuring kid students like answer half the comprehension questions about a text. So it seems that the vocabulary coverage needed for understanding or comprehension is higher than what I had thought before, what other people thought before. The other thing is that it seems that Given the usual kind of text that students would be assigned, and we're not talking about in a reading class, but let's say students having to read something in English for a content class, that the vocabulary requires something like 6,000, knowing 6,000 word families. You know, it's, it's an incredible number of words that people, you know, students would need to know. So I think this act of reading is much more difficult than people have thought especially reading, and that your point is that there's a certain threshold at which they're just going to, you, you know, translate it. They're going to put it through machine translation. Yes, absolutely. Right? There's a certain and, where they just can't. Yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen students take pictures of a text with their phones, and then they it has optical character recognition, right? We'll turn it into text, and then they just put it through machine translation. So we have to deal with this and figure out, you know, what is the goal of reading? So some teachers are going to, um, let me see if I can phrase this properly. There are teachers who are teaching reading to help students read and be able to understand what they're reading. So no tools involved, maybe a dictionary, but basically they're, here's a text and we want to get you to be able to read the text. Now I might, I will, I do, I might, maybe <laughs> I take issue with that, given all the tools available to students. And I'm going to add that I think that that's not the best goal. Because saying, okay, I give my students a text, I then test them for comprehension, that's not what students need to do when they're reading, especially in an academic setting. And this is where I think uh, many or some teachers might be wanting to consider, you know, re <laughs> readjusting their their approach. I think that what we need to do is we need to 
get students to read a text. We have to get students to be able to take notes about the text. And then we have to be able to have students be able to use those notes to review what they've read at a later time so that they can have long-term understanding. I think the problem is, is that, you know, I'm going to use the terms acute and chronic here, but you know, for acute being short-term, chronic being long-term, I think most of the time what we're doing is we're just testing whether or not students understood what they read. And we do not check, unless it's a content-based course, we do not check, have they retained that information? Do they still understand? Where did that comprehension take them over time? So I think that gearing any reading class towards an actual academic approach, which is to say we read to learn about something, we read to understand a topic, and we read not so that we just forget it after we're done reading, but that we have some way of retrieving the information, whether it's entered into the student's brain, you know, their memory, or into some note-taking system. And I think this is maybe the key point that, you know, I want to make about changing how we approach reading. I okay, think there's... Um, yeah, I want, to, I want to rein you, before we get too far down the road, I want to, I want to, I want to make, make a little stop here. So, um, uh, No, let's just keep going. No, 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 no. So there's, there's, there's all different kinds of reading and, and, and so forth and so on. But I think you want to talk a little bit more about note-taking and how important that is in the reading, learning process don't you <laughs> i think you're saying are you saying that i went off topic on there no 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 no, no 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 i you just, mentioned, to... you just mentioned i want to make sure that it doesn't get lost because i think um you have some really good ideas about note-taking and i think they're very important um when we when we talk about read the reading process okay. um and and the, the note taking skills, which along with so for 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 example, we're talking about reading skills, and we we've talked a little bit about the writing, um, and so just like basic paragraph structure, which is so different in English than in Japanese. Um, and so the, when when these students are confronted with either in a writing class or in a reading class with paragraph structure and this idea of you know, topic sentences and supporting sentences, this is completely new to them. At the same time, this idea of note-taking and the science or the study or the practice um, teaching of note-taking um, and how that fits with um, reading skills, I, I think that's really important. And I know that you do a lot with that. And I think maybe we want to hear a little more about that. Okay, but... Let me. I was going to get not, there. Not to, not yeah, not to derail you, but go ahead. No, you were derailing my derailing of my derailment. Mm. Um, what I want to, I think, is important is that, and I don't use this word too often, situate. But we have to. The students have to have a reason to be reading. And what I mean by that is that you know if they're if they're taking notes just so that they can answer questions on an immediate you know, post-test, right, for comprehension, I'm saying, what's the point? It's not, um, it's not, they're not going to tie that together, right? And we've talked before about students' difficulties in transferring their learning or understanding how, what they learn in one class to another. So I think that 
one of the things is that thematic themes in a reading class are important, right? So that, you know, students know, hey, we're learning about this topic. So, for example, we're learning about the use of um, how smartphones affect mental health, just for throwing a topic out. Sure. What I've noticed a lot in my – or a lot, I don't know what that means – but what I've noticed in the teaching of reading that I've done in the past is that the readings are not necessarily thematically connected. So I'm giving this reading, I'm giving you know another reading, and they're different readings, and maybe they're vocabulary controlled. So I just want to emphasize the fact that before I go into note-taking, that the readings should be, I think, on a theme or an idea or some subject so that there's some kind of motivation, some reason for the students to want to be able to take notes rather than just taking notes for the sake of taking notes or just taking notes to be able to use them on a, rec um, you know, a, a reading comprehension test, okay? Sure. You're there? Okay. Yep. So yep, 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 yep. Now, okay, so note-taking. Let's go to the ideas of note-taking. And none of my ideas are really that original creative. I view some things and uh, there will be links to some sites that are really useful. First, um, what I do is I start with not just the idea of note-taking, but there's this idea that's been out in, in the digital world for a while. It's the idea of um, personal knowledge systems or personal knowledge management systems or knowledge management systems. And that's the idea that notes are part of a system that your notes are connected. This is a really key idea, is that notes are connected and so you can use them to tie things together. But before we can even get there, students have to understand the importance of notes, note-taking, because it's something, for example, that Japanese students don't do because they're so used to having the professor give them, you know, the printouts, right, of the PowerPoint. Or, which, or, or yeah, either they're given those things or they, they, they go totally unfiltered and they just try to write everything. Mm. There's a that's normal unusual. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I would I would just say that that's such a small minority. Most of my students mm. are just sitting there. Mm. I have to say, <laughs> write sleeping. this down. Yeah. <laughs> write this down. Write this. Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> okay. I don't need you to write this. I need I need I need you to write in your sleep, not to walk in your sleep. Yeah, that, that is so, the reality. Right. So there's a whole thing about note taking that they have to learn, and you have to. I'm going to try to explain to them they can't remember things. So there are certain things um, about note-taking that are understood. And some of this is coming from a really good book, um, which is um, How to Take Good Notes, um, How to Take Smart Notes by um, Soke Arens, I believe. And it's a, pre it's a really interesting book. And it comes from this idea of um, Zettelkasten, which is by uh, – was originally – created, invented by um, a European professor named Lerman, who was a sociologist and was unbelievably productive. But I'm not going to go into the details of Zettelkasten, but the idea is that notes are connected to other notes. So if you look at a note, you can see how that note connects to another note. If you, if you ask your students to take notes, it's as you said, they're going to write down everything or they're going to write down things, and they're not going to have a system. So 
there are things you teach your students, right? So um, I go through and I explain, okay, first off, your notes, and this is, I believe, is from How to Take Smart Notes. Um, and if I miss the exact um, source or citation, I apologize in advance to whoever came up with the idea. But that's the idea that, um, you know, your notes have to be with you, Right. They have to, it has to be like friction free, like getting information, capturing information has to be really easy. Um, you know, the notes that you take, the information has to be searchable. The notes that you take, um, the information has to be retrievable, for example. And these are things when we ask students to take notes or when students are told to take notes, they're not taught these basic aspects. So you have to work with your students. Um, and you then, give them templates. So very common, of course, is the Cornell note-taking template. And if you're familiar with the Cornell note-taking template, there are like three main sections. The main section, which is where you write the notes, and then there's a left margin kind of area where you write keywords which correspond to what you've written for the main notes, and there's a summary section. Well, those notes are searchable because you can look for the keywords. Digital notes, of course, are even more searchable because of the search function inherent in, in, you know, computer systems. But we have to explain to students that your notes have to be able to do this and that there are certain aspects to the notes. And then you have to have students practice taking notes. And again, I'm, I'm going off the deep end here, but the aspect of note-taking is that we can't assume that there's one best way for students to take notes. So, for example, um, I provide students with templates for the Cornell note-taking system. I teach them about mind mapping, and I provide them with, uh, you know, how to do mind maps by hand, and then different apps available for mind mapping. I introduce, you know, we go through the outline system for taking notes um, using Microsoft Word, for example, and its outlining function. We go through using the column systems, you know, three-column or four-column systems. And getting students each week in the beginning to try a different note-taking system so that they find which one works for them. So to me, in a reading class, especially for reading, what's the point of reading if you don't remember what you read? And uh, I actually wrote something for my students. It's um, it's on, 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 on the website, which is that, Basically, your notes are useless. And I say, have you ever read, you know, you and, um, and I'm sure most people we know have like read an article or a journal article or something and then said about halfway through, go, wait a second, I've read this before. So what's the point of reading something if you're not retreat, you know, you're not pulling it, capturing information from it that you then have access to later that you can connect to other information and other knowledge. So that's a really important thing about note-taking. It's not just a matter of taking notes. It's not just a matter of identifying main ideas. It's actually how is that note-taking part of a note-taking system? And I'm going to stop there and let you criticize, comment, toss out, analyze what I've just said. Well, I think I think one of the, the, the important things that you, you mentioned was that it is a system and um, when, I, when I would teach note-taking, um, which I did as like academic skills in, in, in as many classes as I could, if, you know, if I could, you know, obviously in a reading class, obviously in a writing class, um, but uh, if, I could, if I could work it into 
um, the syllabus that I was encumbered with by, by one school or another um, would always include the note-taking skills um, class. And, um, yeah, um, I tried to emphasize that there was no right or wrong way that they, they all needed to kind of figure out how to do it, but more importantly, the why, and then work them through some examples, which is really, really important because, again, um, for these students, this is their first exposure to this kind of thing. So everything is new. Everything is foreign. Um, they're getting it all in English, not in Japanese, which already makes it suspect. Um, but uh, the emphasis on flexibility and mutability is like, because they're so, they're, they're so used to being t taught the, the right way to do things. And when it comes to note taking, there is no right way. Everybody thinks in a different way. They, uh, you know, uh, accumulate and, you know, use and retrieve information in, in different ways. Our minds are all a little bit different. Um, but would always teach that, try to you know, incorporate it into class somehow at some point. Um, but extremely important, especially with reading. Um, it was even if even if they're not actually taking notes, just like if they're mentally going through the process. And again, the idea of purpose is like, what's it for? Is this? Are you reading this for a test? Are you reading it? For pleasure, are you reading it for your own, you know, for professional reasons? Are you reading it for pleasure? I, whatever you're, why ever you're reading it, it's like, if you don't remember it, it's useless. So whether you're actually taking notes or not, the, the process of organizing and processing this information uptake, um, is extremely valuable. I mean, for whatever it is, whether it's a cooking recipe, it's like how to build a cabinet. It's like care, you know, care of wood or you know, the foundation of a house. Whatever it might be, if it's worth your time reading it, it's worth your time retaining it. And the one thing that I would also emphasize to my students is like, you know, this okay, this is an English class. This is an English. This is just life. This is thinking. Use this. This is the, whether you're doing this in English, German, French, Japanese, whatever you're doing. This is this is universally applicable, and it's it's a life skill. It's not a, not necessarily just a language skill. It's it's going to help you all different kinds of ways. And I would always emphasize that um, because yeah, this, you know, this is an English class, but you know, you got that biology class. Take these ideas, apply them to your biology class. It's the same thing. It's 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 information. It's processing information. How do you how do you how do you gather it? How do you save it? How do you retrieve it? Uh, it doesn't matter what language you're talking about. Yeah, I I do that as well as explain that note taking is it's a life skill. It's something. 
you know, you guys have to learn and that it's useful, like, for example, when you're in meetings, when if you're working. And yeah, it's basic information your processing. Your boss is telling you to do something, right. The problem is that, and this is what I've had to confront, and it's really frustrating, especially it's even more frustrating with really high-level students, is that they're so used to just answering what about mm-hmm, reading comprehension mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they will actually just look for the exact answer. So if you say um, – you ask a what question, they're basically going to almost copy and paste. And I got copy this, and paste the answer. Yeah, the answer, well, because that's, that's what they've been taught to do. And, but and that's for, what they've been taught to do. But that's what they've been taught to do. And, exactly. And for some students, at some levels, that's enough. But, but, um, we you want to be able to, like, always try to shoot a little above that because sometimes whatever you again the idea of reading and translating for so many classes they've they've never read anything all they've done is translated and sometimes when they come to your class it's the first time they're actually expected to read something and so one of the things that i would do we talked about reading power and one of the things that was really nice about reading power um, is um, the, um, the a lot of really useful exercises. One of the things that I really liked about it um, was the the timed reading exercises. And then you know we would each week we, we would do a couple of these. But at the beginning of the semester, what I would do with them is I would again these are the lower level classes. Um, I said, okay, we're gonna. And I and I knew that when I read something, if I'm going to vocalize every word, my, pretty much I can max out at about 200 words a minute. It's like so, you know. I said, you know, educators, linguists, so this 200 words a minute. It's like you read the page. I'm going to read it out loud to you. It's going to take about two minutes, and that's 200 words a minute. And boom, and there we would go. It's like, and we would do one, and then fine. It's like. Okay, now you guys do the next one, and you know at, we're going to stop the clock, and you're going to have to answer some questions. Um, and forcing them to do that a whole and with with reading specifically, you're bringing them across a whole bridge that they have not crossed before. They've translated. They know how to. They, they've done the ACAN like. Slicing apart and reorganizing of words and sentences, they can do that great. Re- reading, number one, for content. Number, maybe, maybe the best ones can do that. And then you go like to tone. Oh, maybe one kid in the class. Um, and they haven't done it before. And when you try to get them to do this, what you've got, well, number one challenge is you've got this overcome the I can't mindset. I, no, it's English. I can't do that. Mm. Um, you really need to work hard at choosing material that's doable, that they can manage. You know, and, you know, to the other extreme, because Charles mentioned something earlier before about, you know, other reading classes and things. It's like, yeah. Um, you know, I was teaching at a, a, a good college. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a women's university, 
And um, it was high level. And my, my, my students were high level. They were English majors. Um, so English majors, <laughs> they're one of the, they were reading Shakespeare in the original. Quote, unquote, reading. I had to translate that. How the hell? How the I hell do you ask these students to read? You, you, you're talking about Macbeth, right? It's like, yeah, okay, read Macbeth and like write me and ask me like, what is Like, what the hell? What the hell? No, 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 no. That's not how you teach reading. So, but, and there's all, and, and so we're getting along on time. And so, so think about like different ways to bring reading to our students. Um, one, we've only got, you know, limited time in the classroom and how you try to introduce independent learning, whether it's individual projects or so much better group projects, whether you're doing it individually at home, you know, to, to, you know, especially when we're working online, it's like, oh, here's a group, here's a group. Okay. You guys work on that. Do whatever assignment you create for them, this group, that group, that group, um, whatever. And, and then, in class activity, so, so yeah, you've got a class of twenty five kids. Is like you know you have like maybe four different reading assignments, five maybe different like texts. It's like okay, this is your you know two short stories, appropriate level. Read it. Be prepared to talk about what it was about. And then they come to class the next week and you bounce them around, you, you, you mix them all up together. It's like, okay, tell your group about the story that you read. Explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, guess what? You can use Japanese. That's fine. Tell them the story. And everybody else, tell each other the story. Okay. Process. You read the story. You're processing it. You're changing it to your own language. You're expressing it to somebody else. That's fine. Okay. Now, Try to do it in English. They lap that up. They 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 it's 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 they you know they've got their own story. They're hearing like three or four other stories. They're stories that are told by fellow students. Um, they love it. They love it. So bridging that um, solo activity to a group activity um, really. Um, and we talked about this very, you know, early on. This is like, make it fun. It's like, at a certain point, they kind of forget that they're at school. <laughs> they're they're talking to their friends and they're telling each other stories, um, and they're and mentally they're going back and they're thinking about what they read. They're reprocessing it. It's great. And you you, you talk about you know assignments that you can give them that kind of pull it all together. Um, you know, the the whole idea of a book report where you summarize it, well, odds are that anything that you assign your students, they're going to be able to find something and plagiarize. We talked about last month, but plagiarize it. It's like, no, 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 just get creative. It's like, okay, you got a story, and it's like, you know, create an alternate ending. Okay? It's like Wuthering Heights. Okay, Heathcliff was gay. <laughs> write, a, write an ending to the story. Or create an interview with one of the characters. You, 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 you give them a short story. It can, can be a really short story. It can be like like three pages, four pages. You know, 
whether mystery, horror, you know, science fiction, whatever it might be. And it's like, take one of the characters and it's like, okay, interview this character and, you know, write me. And it's a little bit more of a writing assignment, but it's a reading assignment. Say, like, okay, you read the story. Say, like, okay, write me an interview with, with, with this character. Um, again, we talked about last week, make it impossible to plagiarize, but make it fun for them. Let them choose a character. Let them interact with the character. Let them go back into the story and think about motivation and think about social constraints and think about moral choices and, 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 and then let that bring that out in the interview and stretch that out and make it interesting. Right. Um, and then again, we talked about like reading and writing interchanges. Like, and when, you know, if, if you're going to have them write about something that they've read, um, make that, of course, with their foreknowledge, um, put it out there so that they can share it with each other. So that, you know, it's like, you know, a third of the class reads this story, a third of the class reads this story, a third of the class reads this story. Then you write your critique of the story and then put it out there so that anybody in the class can read what your opinion was and then comment on it. Uh, Again, that kind of blurs the, the reading writing part. But um, all different kinds of ways to, to make it fun, uh, to make it interesting, to abs- bring the abstract text, the English text, make it, bring it into their lives, let them share it with their friends, uh, and add some additional meaning to it within their lives. And it stops being school. It, it starts being fun. Well, I'm not sure where how to respond to that. <laughs> 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 I think I was talking about note taking, and now we're well. Yeah, but note taking. But, different... that, but that's part. But of here's it, right? what I was going to suggest, though. Here's what I was going to suggest, though. I understand what you're doing, and I see the value of it, and I've done similar things to it. But what you do these activities, by the way, where you have the student explain to the other students about what they read. These are, I think, technically called retelling activities, Mm -hmm. which have a lot of value. But what I wanted to say is that you have to have the students who are listening taking notes, because then you ask them to report on the stories that they heard. Well, that's the thing, right? When they know that they've got to do this kind of stuff, that's where the the note-taking becomes a a bridge to those kinds of things. I didn't express that, but that was in my head. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that it has to be built in. We've talked about writing across the classroom critical or across a curriculum, critical thinking across. This is – you have to have note-taking across your classroom activities. It has to be everything. So um, when students – Right. When students report about something. So, you you know, you do a group activity. So one of the things, and I want to go back, remind me to come back to how do we know a text is good for students or appropriate for students. But one of the things I do when you talked about group reading projects, and I do this in my independent English learning class, which is a required first year class. And I also do this in my listening and reading class, is I put my students together in groups. And I give them a 
really difficult text. And when I say a difficult text, I mean that it's on a subject that they're not familiar with. The vocabulary, they have very low vocabulary coverage, for example, and whatever I mean by low. Um, Sentence complexity is really high. And it's just technical, it's dense, it's, you know, challenging. And what I do is I give them the assignment, which is you have five or six people in your group. How can you work together to understand this article so that every member of the group understands, comprehends what the article is about with, without any one member having to read the whole article? And this activity has so many things built into it because it has collaboration skills, right? They have to figure out how to work together. It's project planning. They have to figure out what the goals and the objectives are. There's time management skills involved. And of course, you know, we go over all these things. But what happens is that usually they'll break up the text. You know, one person will read 20%, another person will read 20%, et cetera, et cetera. And we go through the different things, and then they have to report to each other. But then I introduce the concept of quality control. I say, if person A says this is what the first 20% is about, I say, how do you know that they're right? How do you know? And so we do a real intense or intensive um, activity about group reading and how to read something. So And they're taking notes, of course, because they have to report to each other. And then the other people have to take notes on what's being said. And you can have them post things as a reading exercise. So they're writing about what they're you know, summarizing, et cetera. Real high-level skills, but seems to work from basically intermediate and above. Works very, um, it's challenging for students, even at the advanced level. But the thing is, is that there's two things you really have to deal with or three, actually. One is familiarity with the topic. And you can increase or decrease uh, the challenge to the students based on how much background knowledge they have about the topic. So that's one thing. The next thing, of course, is vocabulary coverage, which is how much of the vocabulary do they understand. Now, this is accomplished by, you can use this site, and it'll be in the uh, the um, the show notes, but um, warning, warning, this is the worst <laughs> designed website in the world, but it's truly useful. It's uh, the Lex Tutor website. You can put a text in and you can have it analyzed for its vocabulary level by, for example, traditional Paul Nation's traditional vocabulary profile test, which would look for K1 words, most frequent 1,000 words, second most frequent 1,000 words, the academic word list, which for people who are not familiar with that is a series, it's vocabulary that appears in you know, newspapers, journals, that students who are in an academic setting would need to know that don't appear in the K1, K2 list, and then off-list words. So you can analyze any text, or you can put it through a more detailed vocabulary analysis. The students have also checked their vocabulary level. There's some vocabulary levels tests where students can get an approximate idea. Do they know the first 3,000 words of English? Do they know the first 4,000? Or I only know a little bit of the set, you know, the the four, the K4, the fourth thousand word list so I need to study more, etc. So they know what the vocabulary is of the article. They know what their vocabulary level is. So now they have an idea of the coverage which will tell them how difficult it is. But the next thing they have to deal with is the and you talked about this, Tony, is how the writing actually, how complex are the sentences. I'm convinced that the two major um 
factors that students or teachers need to deal with is vocabulary in an article and then how complex the sentences are. There's a writing app called Hemingway app. Yeah, that's a good that idea. Is, you, you know, I have my, my writing students use, but I now have my reading students put the text into Hemingway because it'll, it'll give a visual representation. It'll say, these sentences are very hard yeah, this to is read. A very, this is a very difficult sentence to read, yeah. Right. This is very difficult. This is difficult. And it gives a basic readability score by grade level. Yeah. And what I do is, you know, I have the students put their section of the text that they're responsible for through Hemingway, through the vocabulary, um, Lex Tudor site, vocabulary profile, and they can get a sense as to how difficult the text is. Right, and it and, gives, and it gives them a sen- also a sense of um, the kind of tools that are available to them yes, yes, for, I want, yes. for writing and reading, right? For both, yes. right? Right. In other words, these are two tools that allows them to be able to read independently. And I told them, after I showed them, teach them about vocabulary coverage, give them an idea of their vocabulary level, show them the Hemingway app, I said, what do you need a teacher for anymore? You know how to pick the text, right? You, and I have them make logs that if something, if they have like 95% vocabulary coverage, they get the word count and the word count comes out from the Lex Tutor site. But then say time yourself how long it took you to read and then give a ballpark estimate as to how much you feel you understood make sure you put it through Hemingway and you know there's like you know listed as you know was it extreme were most of the sentences easy or were most of the sentences very difficult according to Hemingway and I say now you're getting a record of what you're reading and you're going to be able to estimate how long it's going to take you to read things in the future so these are two tools that are extremely useful. I think the Hemingway app and any kind of vocabulary coverage, anything like the Lex Tutor site, gives students a really good idea about how difficult a text is. And by the way, the other thing that's really nice is that on that Lex Tutor site is that it color codes the different words by levels. So, you know, K1 words, K2 words, academic word lists, and then the off list words for the basic traditional vocabulary profile. And it'll also use the British National Corpus, uh, you know, which was this huge collection of vocabulary <laughs> that goes, I think, up to K20 words. But the point is, is that if students know their vocabulary, they can look at this the output from the vocabulary prof, um, profile app, and they can see, ah, these are words I don't know. And if they're, let's say, you teach them that, hey, you need to know words up to the K6 level to have a basic understanding, they can go through and look at the K3 words they might and identify which K3 words they don't know, which K4 words they don't know, which K5 words they don't know, which K6 words, and they get a new vocabulary list. In other words, they don't need the teacher to be giving them vocabulary tests. Independent learning, they're autonomous learning, they're able to read now, they're able to assess and judge how difficult the text is, they're able to do um, predict how long it's going to take them for the future. You teach them how to read as a group, how to report, all the ways to collaborate. You've now given them a skill that's incredibly useful. Let's say they're 
um, engineering students and their or economic students and their teacher assigns them a super difficult article to read in English. Well, we've just given them a way to work together and manage it. But of course, all of this does not take out the machine translation issue. And, you know, that a lot of these students are just going to do the machine translation. And by the way, we haven't talked about teaching pre-reading to the students, which is something they're not familiar with, by the way. They haven't been taught how to pre-read, you know, read the title, ask yourself, what do you know, scheme activation, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole – pardon me? Context, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole lot. So the idea here, though, to go back to it, is that you give them these activities and the note-taking is built in, the – they're reading, they're engaging with each other, and the the trying to teach them, for example, summer, summer, summarizing skills is really difficult. But as you said, Tony, if you say, have a student tell the other students about a story, and you repeat that activity enough, you're going to find out that they're, yeah. instead of going for a complete word-for-word, sentence-by-sentence, act-by-act description, after about the six or seventh time, they just start saying, hey, this is a story about about a really, you know, three pigs who wanted to build some houses and had to deal with this bad wolf who was causing them trouble and bullying them. There you go. Right? But remember, it takes a lot of practice, um, repetitions. Repetition Um, There's also, here, review has to be key to this. And the idea is that, for example, if you have them tell the story in a class, so each student reads a different story, and then they explain that story to their classmates, make sure, you know, that people are taking notes, but make sure the students have to do that again the following week with the same story. Now, maybe you've given them an additional story to read. Now they have to report about two stories, and again, this is this repetition is giving them practice, and then they have this comparison of, ah, oh, this is what I reported on last week, this is what I'm reporting on today. Then they're able possibly to reflect and see some differences. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like the yes, man, do it's like, yes, I'm gonna do the second time. It's like, nah, I did this last week. And third was saying, ah, we again, what? And then. Oh. And that's the motivation yes. to make it shorter, to summarize. I'm not going to go through and say, okay, there's these three pigs and they're sitting around and they're right, you know. Instead, you're going to say, there's this bullying wolf and these three pigs who just want to be left alone. <laughs> right? Yeah. So and they, and they, they do it on their own and they think that they're not doing it, but they're doing exactly what you want them to do. Exactly. And you trust them that through repetition, through constant practice, that they will learn it without you having to explicitly teach them these things. Because if you explicitly teach them, I can promise you they're not going to learn it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't want to learn. I don't want to learn any English. Yes. So (laughs) the the keys here, again, is that you need repetition, you need review, you need to integrate the note-taking into all these activities. You need to make sure that students understand the concepts of coverage, vocabulary coverage, sentence complexity. You need to make sure they know how to pre-read so that they can create, you know, in their minds some kind of maps. 
and give them opportunities to experiment and explore with, let's say, the note-taking or the different readings. So, for example, giving them different kinds of readings, like the stories, right? Fiction stories, little folk tales, versus having to report on a short article about science. But this is the thing again. Avoid as much as possible only giving them a one-time reading text and comprehension te- test because that doesn't teach them yeah reading right for, uh, exactly reading you're, for comprehension because right. yeah, what's yeah. going to happen is they're going to read and they're going to know that they're just going to get a comprehension test afterwards and they're just going to totally forget about it in even though out, they could in have and learned out, in and out, in and out yeah, right, absolutely right. absolutely okay. all right yeah and i think tony at this point maybe time to wind up we're at the one hour point there's a few things we could cover maybe in a later episode yeah, but uh, if, if I, I think can, we've covered can, a fair amount. If I can interject a short story from from the way back days, being an old man, I get to. <laughs> Do I need to summarize your story after you finish? Um, only if you like. Okay, go for it. Okay, so this is so so Charles was talking about like a little bit about you know like for example um, the um, the Hemingway application and um, machine translation and, and all, all the great tools that are available now. Um, I'm going to go way back. This is like pre-Kobe um, earthquake days. This is the early 90s. Um, and I was teaching a reading class. It was at a Simongako, but it was uh, advanced class. So it was for university graduates. It was their interpretation translation program. And it was reading. And it was um, less than optimal situation where everybody from the Students I just mentioned, university graduates in translation and interpretation, and the freshmen who were unable to get into universities and ended up at this Simongako trade school um, for, for people in the U.S. Um, and elsewhere in the world, all had to use, as not was not uncommon in the day, um, the same in-house produced textbook. Which wasn't terrible since they they did actually ask me to proofread most of it, so impossible to adjust for level because it was for all levels. But anyways, it was an international, intercultural reading type textbook, and I had um, a reading class, and luckily I had some control over it. So what I did this is uh, again these are university graduates in Japan. And uh, so, what, what am I going to do? This is inter- I got this stupid textbook which they can read like in the, the whole textbook in one week. I said, "All right, well, um, some of you might be familiar with the novel Wild Swans. It is uh, a novel, a very fat novel uh, about uh, multi generation, multi generational um, family in China." mostly focused on the females and mo- and most of the kids in the class were females and this was the early days of Amazon where Amazon was a book selling company which is a great thing in Japan because at the time we, we had to buy our books from Kinokuniya um at like you know f- 3 to 4 times the price of what they might be stateside so i had access to Amazon and uh, was able to get the school's blessing to circumvent their usurious um, you know, bookseller that they used 
and um, got uh, an, ordered my own cost uh, a number of the copies of, of the book and uh, had the class. It was like 12 students or 15 students, again, advanced class, and um, divided the group, the class into four or five, I don't remember, groups, and uh, took one of the books that I had ordered and um, I divided it up by chapter. Like, just ripped it apart in the middle of the class. It's like, okay, you guys, you have you know chapters one through three. You guys have chapters four through six, on and on, and, and just divided the book up among the students. And it's like, and it's okay, all right. So you got two weeks, and in two weeks, you're going to give a report to the class of what happened in the first part of the book, and then. In another two weeks, you guys are going to give a report of what happens in the next time, and so and it was it worked out really well. And I had a couple of extra whole texts that I that I bought so they could like for their you know come come and ask for it. You can you can take it and um, you can you know however long you want to use it, prepare for whatever you're going to do. And so yeah, each each couple of weeks, each group had a presentation on, on telling the story in front of the class. I was like, I was young. <laughs> I, I I wasn't trained. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but um, you know, pulled them all in. Um, good content, appropriate level. Um, group involvement. Summarizing, telling the story of the class. I'm real happy with what I did there, with 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 what I had. Again, this is like you know, when pretty much you know. Again, I I had internet, but most of the people like they, they thought it was just some crazy, you know, fad that that was going to die out. Um, again, Amazon was a bookseller, and it, I had the opportunity to to buy several copies of this book at a reasonable price. I took it. And I used it for these classes. And um, I'm guessing some of them maybe remember that. I certainly do. Um, it was, um, it was, and it was very, very rewarding. So, um, I guess in terms of takeaways, um, what, whether you're using, you know, a chopped up book from Amazon or whether you're using Hemingway or, um, one of the other, you know, the vocabulary sites or whatever tech tool you're using, um, you know, use your imagination, integrate that with the student experience individually and personally, also with their group. Make it meaningful because... It's, it's, I think over the over the years that we've been doing the podcast, Charles and I have, you know, tendentially um, talked about our own backgrounds and our own learning experiences, and how the biggest part of it was like learning how to learn on your own. And when it comes to reading, this is really um, a big part of it. And, and this is, and, and again, I'll, I'll put the link again into, into the notes, but it's like when I teach reading to students, I, exp, you know, I show them like the graph. I have a graph on, uh, on my old student web, web page, um, 
where web content, um, 75% of it is still English. And I, I try to impress upon them that the idea of like knowledge is power and reading um, is how you get that. And regardless of whether you're going to get that information for, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's your condo association when you get married and buy a house, whether it's health information for your family, uh, whether it's shopping, whether it's going on a vacation, 75% of the web content is like you, you're, you guys are, who uses the internet? And they still don't raise, don't raise their hand. It's like, so you're on your phone like eight hours a day. You're on the web. 75% of the web is still English. It's like when you, if you're limiting yourself to Japanese, you're limiting yourself to 5% of the web content. 75% of the web content is in English. It's like, don't be stupid. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is real stuff. And whether it's for your job, whether it's for your family, whether it's for yourself, your, your well-being, your health, <laughs> your entertainment, whatever it might be, your ability to navigate that the web in English reading um, is an r- important skill. It's going to improve your life. It's going to make your life better. That's why you should study (laughs) for this class because it's going to help you. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) I'm not going to summarize that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So you got anything else? Nope. I think that's a good spot. Point to stop. Well, I can just uh, uh, just uh, offer my condolences to you know folks. Most of I guess most of our listeners back there in Japan because this is the the worst time of the year, right? Um, rainy season. I guess the rainy season's are yes already officially over. I guess you didn't have much rain. Not much I'm sure. Rain, no. I'm sure it's still miserable. <laughs> it's, I'm plenty hot and humid. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing. It's and hot so, and humid, yes. And it's going to continue for a couple of months, and you do have my sympathy. Uh, so hang in there. There, there are very few holidays, um, you know, maybe a little bit later in July. So, um, yeah, the spring semester, it's always hell. Um, hang in there and uh, wish you the best. Hope, it, hope it's not so bad. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> why don't we just end this now <laughs> i have yeah. to go outside uh, soon so. i guess it's, it's a it's a high of 71 here today yeah you guys and what's the yeah. humidity oh it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, yeah. 60% okay <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I just want to stop talking to you now. <laughs> okay. You can hate me. All right. You can hate me. You can all I, hate I, me. <laughs> I can hate the weather. All okay, right, man. So, so, two, so two teachers talking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Talk all righty, man. <laughs> you know. See you. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.